On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to episode 18 of On Screen and Beyond. Brian with you once again. And uh, we've got a lot of uh, information about remakes and upcoming movies, sequels, and TV on DVD and movies on DVD. But we have also have our interview section. And this time we have a special guest, uh, Mark Luigi, who has uh, done a lot of things. And he's got a, a film coming out that uh, you might be interested in checking out on DVD. Um, but he also is known for a lot of different things that he'll tell you in the interview. And uh, he's... Uh, one of the main things uh, that he's done that uh, you probably will recognize, he was the director of MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch. He did about 52 episodes of that, and stop-motion animation is his thing. So uh, you might want to check that out. It's a, it's a really interesting interview, and he talks about uh, the different uh, process that it goes through and all the things he's done over the years, and uh, there'll be some things in there that surprise you. So that's coming up on the interview section right here on On Screen and Beyond. But right now, we're going to head into Remake Madness on On Screen and Beyond. <laughs> Well, we just got a couple remakes uh, that are coming our way uh, right now, but uh, of course there's always some coming out. We've been having a few more episodes than normal here, just uh, rolling them out each week. And uh, so it gets a little slim when we start doing it that way, but we've got a few. 1985's Red Sonja has uh, been looking at uh, the remake process here as they look at uh, attempting to outdo the earlier version of Red Sonja. And, uh, of course, that won't be very hard to do, but uh, that's coming your way. And uh, let's see, Seth Rogen is also coming out with The Green Hornet. It's a remake of the 60s TV show, and look for that to come out in about 2010. And uh, that's it for about now on the remakes, but we'll have more on the next episode, which won't be coming out uh, too far away. <laughs> so uh, you might want to get ready for that. And coming up next, upcoming movies, right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Upcoming movies. Well, of course, there's a lot of big movie hits that are coming out that uh, you know they're going to be hits. They're monster blockbusters. Uh, but we're going to let you in on a few of the ones that uh, aren't uh, the the huge ones, at least a couple of them. And then we're going to tell you about uh, one of the biggies that's coming out. But um, The Wackness with Ben Kingsley and Josh Peck hits theaters on July 3rd. It also stars Mary-Kate Olsen and Method Man. And then August... Not the month August, but the movie August, starring Josh Hartnett, uh, hits theaters on July 11th. It's a story about a dot-com billionaire trying to keep his company together while uh, the bubble burst in 2001. So you might want to check that one out. And uh, then, of course, we have a blockbuster that's coming. It's uh, Brandon Fraser. He hits the big screen on July 11th with Journey to the Center of the Earth. 
3D. Okay, and we've talked about that one before, but that's out. Uh, if you look on a website, we're going to have some information about that, and uh, it's going to be coming up very shortly. And uh, coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we take a look at sequels, and there's some biggies coming right here on On Screen and Beyond. Well, Sequel City, as we head down the street here, we're looking at, uh, well, it's still in theaters, but they've decided to make a sequel already. Kung Fu Panda is heading into Sequel City land, and of course, you know, that was probably expected, because uh, once they become a big hit, uh, they come out with uh, the idea of, let's make a, a sequel to it, all right? Let's get a little more money, and um, it's already in the works with DreamWorks Animation. And there may be a sequel to School of Rock, School of Rock 2, maybe coming your way. Uh, the talks are in the process right now, but it turns out that uh, the script, or a completed script, has been written. Of course, that's not always the way that they uh, do it, because you can uh, write a script and then it doesn't uh, develop into the film. But uh, there is a script right now for School of Rock 2. We'll see what happens with that, and we'll keep you informed. Also, finally, Hostel 3. Uh, maybe on the way, despite a weak performance by the Hostel 2 movie, but uh, they want to try to scare you some more with that one. And coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, TV on DVD, right here. Well, TV on DVD, it looks like October 7th, Paramount Home Entertainment releases Mission Impossible, the fifth season on DVD, which includes 23 episodes and a new cast member, Leslie Ann Warren. And Martin Mull and Kent McCord star in Adam 12 Season 2 coming out on DVD in a four-disc set on September 30th with 26 episodes. Remember when they used to make a lot of episodes back then? Now, you know, if they're lucky if they get 14 or 18 episodes nowadays. But anyways, they have 26 episodes on that. And it looks like Universal Studios Home Entertainment will bring you House MD Season 4. All right, a lot of people just know what is House, but it's officially House MD. And uh, that comes out on August 19th to DVD. And the Discovery Channel has a show called When We Left Earth, The NASA Missions. All right, and that'll be coming out on DVD on September 30th in a four-disc set. All right, and like I said, that's a Discovery Channel series that's on right now. You can see it once in a while. But uh, that's going to be coming out on DVD in September. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to be looking at movies coming out on DVD right here. All right, movies on DVD. The Bank Job makes its way into stores on July 15th, and it's based on a true story. And let's see, Christina Ricci and Reese Witherspoon star in Penelope. Coming to DVD also on July 15th. That's the one where she has the, the pig nose, you know. Um, if you didn't see it in theaters, which it didn't get a big, you know, circulation of uh, theaters when it came out. But uh, it's coming out on DVD. And uh, let's see. A uh, young photographer finds a ghost in his photos while he's on his honeymoon in Tokyo in Shutter. And that's coming to DVD on July 15th also. So those are a couple of things coming out on movies uh, and DVD for TV shows. And uh, we'll have a lot more coming up on the next one. Try to keep you informed of what's coming up right away. And coming up next, we have an interview with Mark Luigi, who is uh, releasing his Ray Harryhausen Presents The Pit and the Pendulum. 
It's a short film, and they've uh, they're releasing it on DVD, and there's a lot of special uh, uh, bonus features on it and all that sort of stuff. And we talked with Mark, sat down, talked with him about uh, the movie and the process and his career. He's done Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV and a whole bunch of other things. He talks about how the process of stop-motion animation comes about, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's coming up next right here on the interview section on On Screen and Beyond. Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. My guest today is uh, director of Ray Harryhausen Presents The Pit and the Pendulum, and it's coming out soon on DVD, and here is Mark Luigi. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? All right. Mark, I've seen a lot of different things that you've been involved in, but uh, our listeners, I'm sure, like to find out what's, what you've been doing before we get into The Pit and the Pendulum. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, Give us an idea of how you started in the business. This is this is a tough business here because this is this will drive you nuts, won't it? Yeah. It's not a it's not an easy business to get into. But then you know I don't I don't think there is an easy business to get into outside of like delivering newspapers or something. You know when you're a kid, yeah. Because if you're really passionate about about uh, finding a career choice for yourself, then um, the more involved you get into things, the more you have to learn, the more you have to experience. The more you have to pick up on the way to get um, to get as as uh, far along as you can, as far as your abilities and capacities, you know. So it, it in that it's 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 kind of the same as most any other career choice. But that's about the end of the similarities. <laughs> you know, then you start running into all these other crazy, idiosyncratic situations in the industry that you know you've got egos and artistic people and producers. And, Know, distributors, all these these wildly um, different personalities diverging on one point, which would be a film or a TV series. But not just that, but just just the process of uh, the stop motion animation must oh, yeah. be enough to drive you crazy to begin with. Oh man, yeah. Well, that's a it's a tough gig. I, I mean, I did that for almost twenty years as a job. That was my my gig. I would go in and animate stuff on sets, and, and um, it got kind of tough for me, especially because I really enjoy being outdoors and, you know, I'm heavy into cycling and rock climbing and hiking and all that. Mm-hmm. And to spend an entire summer working on a show in a black room <laughs> with a camera and artificial lights, you know, like 15, 18 hours a day for six days a week for literally months on end, um, that was just killer. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> that was the one killer for me. You just never. I would go into work in the winter and it'd be dark. I'd come out and it's dark, and I spent all day in the dark. So it got a little depressing sometimes. So, so you've been in it a long time. So, but what sparked you to, that would get you into the stop motion? Has it always been stop motion, or have you been into other parts of animation? No, I've been doing a lot of other stuff too. And I, I've been um, in the last five or six years, I got heavily involved in CGI, um, doing visual effects animation. Mm-hmm. You know, character animation for series work and feature films, and I also did a bunch of um, uh, not well, like two D type animation. I'm not a cell animator per se; like I'm not the illustrator, but I've directed guys doing that stuff and you know, crew mm-hmm. on those shows, and, and I've been involved with directing Flash stuff. We just finished up a Flash 
short film just recently, a little short comedy. Oh, really? And, yep. And um, and I've been doing a lot of uh, mixed media stuff as well over the years. But stop motion, that's what I started with, and I really love the medium. So it's kind of my favorite. That and, and the visual effects stuff. I love what CGI is capable of. Uh, you know, within reason. Like, I think Transformers, I know this is probably a, a tough thing to swallow, but I wasn't a huge fan of the Transformers, you yeah. know, because I thought that was just, like, animation overload. Right, yeah. You know, it, you, you end up losing the character. So that I end up reverting back to stop mode because I think that's that's a real character medium. You know, it's totally character-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it's interesting. And that's what got me into it in the first place. I just loved seeing what Ray Harryhausen was doing. In his oh, I can imagine. You know, Marion C. Cooper with King Kong and, and the dinosaur stuff and, and Land of the Lost, which I actually got to work on at wow. one point, yeah. you know, and, yeah. you know, anything that had that sort of uh, the, the Rankin-Bass Christmas special, yeah. you know, man, I just love that stuff because it's so cool and you and they're so character-driven. It's The characters are so important to get that stuff to come to life that without the character, it's just you know, puppets moving around. Yeah. Right. So, and that's what I what I truly uh, felt like I had to get involved with was was the story and the, the characters and, and uh, taking a puppet and imbibing this life into it. You know, just giving it something so it becomes a different thing than a puppet. And now it's a, a, a creature. It's a real living character, and it helps you spend your animate your yeah, your animate your imagination yeah. for a brief time when you're watching the show. Now, did you when you started out? Uh, you know. I don't know if you were a kid when you started or a little older, but yeah. did, did you know? Did you work with? Uh, I mean, I can remember any filmmaker probably has started out with a Super 8 camera, yep. and I can remember taking the shoes and doing this, the, the stepping across, and, and oh, everybody would see it and say, "Wow, look at that! Oh, wow, that's really neat." Did you did you ever start with that type of thing? Yeah, actually, <laughs> I think I did a shoe film once, and uh, it's because the whole class was doing it. It was my one of my very first attempts at animating anything. And uh, I only did like a very short shoe piece. (laughs) (laughs) That just seems to be one of those things that everybody does. Yeah, you know, it's that. It's like salt pepper shakers or, you know, things of that sort. Those are the really easy things. And I I embrace those techniques, those those ideas, because I think that's a great way to learn how um, the process works. Mm -hmm. You know, moving something incrementally create uh, an animated mo- motion, yeah. you know, and figure out how the speed works and the getting the fine-tuning the idea of, like, how much you can move equals how fast it goes on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that stuff's um, super important to play with initially. It's like the bounce at the squashing ball in 2D, yep. you know, when you're doing cell. It's like, mm-hmm. you, or the flower sack, you know, yeah. when you're animating a flower sack. When you think about it, it's like, oh, what's a flower sack? But when you start actually trying to... Get a, a flower sack to act like a character and have emotion through, through like pantomime. That's a really tough thing to do. Oh yeah, you got to get the you weight. And... <laughs> yeah, it's the weight and the squash and stretch and, yeah. and all that stuff, and to make it, you know, fun to watch. It's very tough. And I think with stop motion, moving around shoes and stuff, people have done amazing films using shoes. Yeah, you know, and tabletop <laughs> items and balls of clay, and, and they, they become really fascinating to watch. So. So, yeah, we did that initially. I got involved in that early on. But I think, for me, I ended up going straight into, like, um, G.I. Joe's. Uh-huh, yeah. Micronauts. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, I immediately, I was thinking, hey, man, I'm not going to mess with the shoes because i got a stack of G.I. Joe's I can use. <laughs> so I ended 
ended up figuring out how to get those guys to stay in one place long enough that I could animate them on a table. And then I started creating stories and building miniature sets out of styrofoam, sheets of styrofoam and paper. And, and uh, so I, I pretty much jumped right into that. I think my second piece of film on Super 8 was a G.I. Joe film yeah. that I'd done in my basement. <laughs> I think I was uh, 15 when I did that. I got into it kind of late. I mean, I've got friends that started when they were like 7 and 8. Oh, yeah, now they're starting. I, I lived so, yeah. in the middle of New Hampshire, like Sanbornville, New Hampshire, so nobody I knew had a, a film camera. Mm-hmm. And I was the only kid that had a disc camera, like one of those little portable disc cameras mm-hmm. that would shoot film on a, rota- on, a, on a disc in like increments. And that was like the technological high point <laughs> for people in town. <laughs> so I had to wait till I got into high school at Wellesley Senior High in, in Massachusetts. To, uh, to actually get access to a, an 8mm camera, a Super 8 camera. Yeah. And that's when I started actually learning how to animate stuff. Though I was interested in it for years before that and had an idea how it worked, but not really any practical experience yeah. with it. Yeah, just wanted to get your hands into it. <laughs> yeah, I was just so dying to, to get some film so I could figure out how it worked. I mean, I was actually building armatures in New Hampshire as a kid before I could... <laughs> could animate anything. I was, I was built, look, reading all these old magazines like Cinemagic and yep. writing to guys yeah, like Ken Walker that. and Don Doler and all these guys. And say, how do you build these things? Like, how do you do this stuff? And, and I'd go to a metal uh, cutting shop in, in town. My mom would actually drive me over to this one place, I remember it distinctly, and i show up with my plans for armature plates that <laughs> 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 I copied out of a magazine and some letters these guys were nice enough to send me. And the guy's looking at her. He says, "Oh, okay. You need this. You know, you need like three sixteenths inch aluminum. I've got some really good stuff." And he pulls out all the stock. And this this place is is a metal cutting factory. They cut pieces to order, and these huge machines, like these with these giant blades in them. And he just starts cutting this aluminum piece up to to exactly to the size and everything. He, I get to watch him, and it was he did it for free. This guy, I walk into the place, and they just walk me into the back room and cut up all this metal for me and hand me a sack of metal plates. And here you go, son. <laughs> Have fun, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was thinking to cut all this stuff with a hacksaw would have been oh, my geez. whole summer. <laughs> and he did it in about 10 minutes. And I was absolutely shocked. And it turns out what, it, what got him prompt, what prompted him to do that for me was they were reading the letters I was sending them. And it's a small machine shop with a big, you know, big machine. It was just a small bunch of guys, but they had all read my letters asking for information on the, the metal that I might use and telling mm-hmm. what I needed it for and how would I get it cut and how much would it cost. I mean, I'm like 12 years old writing these letters, and these guys are reading them, and they, they later told me that they thought it was the coolest thing that, that I was sending letters to this company asking them for technical information <laughs> on how to do it, and that's why they had it all set up when I got there. It's like kind of a big thing for them that this kid finally shows up with his get the metal. So I spent the whole rest of the summer building this armature, and it was kind of chunky and hokey, but it worked. I actually ended up building and sculpting a, um, a an astronaut character, huh. and that was also my first sculpture. I'd never sculpted anything in clay before. Yeah. And uh, so I built the armature and put this clay sculpture on it. And now, so those that just might not know the armature, that's the, the skeletal. Yes, it's the metal yep. skeletal. Skeleton, like if you if you look around online for King Kong books or or stop motion books, you'll see these metal uh, contraptions. They look like skeletons, and that's what it, what's called an armature. Armature is just another word for uh, a skeleton, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and then you and build then, your clay person or whatever yep, the character whatever your over character it. Is, you sculpt it over the armature, and that way you know that when you when you actually create your character in foam, rubber, or whatever it's going to be clay, it all will fit. You know, the joints will be where you need them to be, mm -hmm. um, and whatnot. And that's what I did. I got that far, and then my mold making techniques were lacking severely, so <laughs> I never really got that that astronaut built, but. <laughs> So from there, I went into high school and, and got into heavily involved into clay animation, which at the time in the, in the early 80s was, like, that was the thing everybody was doing because right. of uh, Will Vinton yep, and his yep. success. The claymation. The Noid, yep, and the claymation, the, the California Rays. And, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, that was a huge hit. I mean, everybody was going nuts for that stuff. So that was the first thing I learned to do was how to sculpt yeah. properly and, and animate with uh, clay, like doing clay animation. What was your first um, paid gig? My first paid gig, this is funny, it was, um, I was interning at a small studio in Boston, and I interned there for a year, and I was going to school at Mass College of Art, and um, uh, I was, you know, so I was kind of working for free on a whole bunch of stuff, but my first job, they actually gave me a shot at directing some ABC spots. Hmm. Um, yeah, the ABC Saturday wow. morning IDs. Yeah. There's like four of them that I did, and one of them was this, the cowboy and this a blue horse. Oh, yeah, so I remember. After yeah. these misses, I'll be right back. And the, the horse drops in on the cowboy. Yeah. That was, I, I think that was actually my very first commercial job. I got paid six bucks an hour to direct it and animate it, and I animated it in four hours. Wow. <laughs> so I did that one for 24 bucks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I remember, I remember we didn't have a, uh, an editing uh, machine, like a Steenbeck or any way to look at the, the 35 millimeter dailies. So we'd have to send the footage to a, the Greyhound station in Boston, which would then drive it to New York City that night. New York City, the lab would process the film, do a print for us, send it back on the bus that same night, overnight. We'd go pick it up at Greyhound at 9 a.m. in the morning, bring it back to the studio. This is for like, you know, 10 seconds of film. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. And then we had this old movie theater projector. It looked like a cannon. And we'd, it, we'd fire it up, and it would, and we'd have to take the film print and run it in a big loop because we didn't have reels and stuff. So we'd run this giant loop. It would run the length of the studio through the gate of the projector and then back out again to the other end of the studio. <laughs> And we literally had a had like a coat hanger, with, so the loop would go through the coat hanger. So we'd fire up the projector. It'd take about thirty seconds for it to warm up and get bright enough so you can watch the dailies on the other end of the studio on the wall, like it's projecting across Jeez. the length of the studio. And that's how I got to see the dailies of my first my first ABC spot. And you had hope that it came out right. Yeah, I was <laughs> hoping and praying that I did a good job because you, we had no video playback. There was no way to know. Yeah. how this is going to look until you get your dailies back. So we're looking at the dailies, and the boss uh, says, you know, that looks pretty good. Lip sync works. Everything's good. I love it. You're on for the next one. So yeah. for the next three days, I just animated ABC spots. And um, that was – so I didn't get paid. I got paid 24 bucks each because they took about four hours apiece to do them. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good start, you though. Know, I mean. and, and they went on the air. That was on Monday. On Thursday, I finished. Friday, uh, I took a break because I was pretty tired. Saturday morning, a Friday night, I was heading to New York for a meeting. Saturday morning, I turn on the TV at 7 a.m. in the hotel room, and there the spots are. And they're already on the air. 
And it must have been a thrill to see it. I mean, it must have been a thrill for you to see that. I mean, the craziest thing. I'll never forget it. Yeah. Because it was my first commercial job that I was actually, you know, integrated as a the director and the animator. So this this is kind of my baby. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, uh, you know, there's Mike, those guys designing and building the puppets and everything, and I helped build the characters as well. But I was this is the stuff I just did. Yeah. Like two days before, and it's on the air around the country. Yeah. And the thing is, it, a lot of people may not realize this, but a filmmaker can make something. And you've seen it so many times, but until you actually have, yeah, you, you know that it's out there, that people are seeing it, as opposed to you just seeing it for the hundredth time. Right, right. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a totally different thing. It's a completely different feeling. You're absolutely right. And I think it's, it was very different then because nowadays, nowadays you, know, you can shoot something with your digital camera, throw it on YouTube, and it's up as soon as you can download right. it right? Yep. or upload it. So um, that doesn't have the same thrill because you're still isolated. You're yep. like, well, I can see it, but does anybody else care to look at it? Whereas something like with the ABC spots, you know, you turn on the TV and the whole country's watching right. your stuff. Yeah. Like every little kid. And the, the funny thing is, is I mention that stuff to people in rooms of animators, you know, or when I talk to crowds of people and everybody responds. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, I remember those. Oh yeah, that's something <laughs> that's that sticks in your mind. Right, and like that's something, that was 25 years ago, yeah. you know, and I think, oh my gosh, it's it's incredible because people remember it, one, because they saw it, which is amazing, and the fact that I had something to do with it was even more amazing, and yeah. it's amazing for everybody because like, oh my gosh, you're the guy who did that? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was just a, a college kid. <laughs> I, like, I didn't really know what I was doing, you yeah. know, and I got 24 bucks to do those. <laughs> Well, our, the audience probably doesn't realize this, but can you give us a couple of other things that uh, they're probably going to say, oh, that's the guy. I didn't know he did that. Because I know there's a couple of other things that you've done that, that have been seen by more than one or two people. <laughs> sure. Well, um, back in 80, I think it was 89, or, yeah, 1989, I did the, I was one of the three key animators on um, on the Bud Bowl halftime hmm. spot. Yep. <laughs> uh, Bud Light versus Budweiser, having it out in a football game. That was probably the biggest ad campaign I've ever been involved with. And at the time, it was the biggest ad campaign ever that was broadcast because apparently it was seen by 360-something million people, Yeah, that one-and-a-half-minute footage. And I was just blown away. That was insane. How long did it take you to do that? We were on that job about eight months. Eight months? Yep, eight months. Five days a week, some day, sometimes six days a week. Three, three main animators and a few um, assistant animators helping out. Now that wasn't CGI either, right? No, that was stop I mean, that, motion. In those days, <laughs> nowadays it's that, yeah. I mean, the snow and stuff was CGI, but yeah. the rig removal was you know done in post as well. But all the pup, all the beer cans were, were stop motion. Yeah, the football <laughs> flying was stop motion on wires. Oh, the yeah. bottle, everything was stop motion, man. The jackets flapping in the wind and the, the scarves and stuff. It was all and stop motion. Eight months? Yep. Oh. Yeah, that was just the animation. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, man. That was in a very intense time. Yeah. And uh, then I worked on the second version of Land of the Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really fun, animating dinosaurs and whatnot. Back in, that was 90. Now they're making that into a movie, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Will Ferrell. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then I worked on some other stuff. I, I worked a little bit on uh, the Back to the Future ride film for a brief time. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. I was not doing animation. I was doing uh, some um, some uh, fabrication. And mm-hmm. I did some more ride film stuff. And I did a bunch of commercials for Wendy's and McDonald's and you know, all these different companies and some music videos for um, Dockin'. I did a music video with Dockin'. Oh, really? Yep. Um, oh, Burning Like a Flame. Yeah. I think that was a that was MTV's number one video for a couple of weeks. Huh. Back back in the day. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24/7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now, you've done some other stuff for MTV, right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I was animation director on uh, Celebrity Deathmatch for <laughs> 52 episodes. Now, and, tell, uh, tell me something. With, on yeah. Celebrity Deathmatch, yeah. um, was that all stop motion or was there... What, you know, special effects in it somehow CGI or anything? Or? Oh yeah, there was, there was a lot of special effects stuff. I um, mean, when you see the blood splattering, yeah, most <laughs> was, of that special effects stuff. Yeah, because I was going to say that that would take you forever and a day to do <laughs> to do that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't do very much of the blood. Like if blood was flying around or spr- splashing, or not that know, there was much blood in that show. No, not much at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if it was on the characters, it was probably clay or paint. Yeah. You know, but if it was airborne in any way, it was a special effect, uh, a visual effect process. Hmm. Yeah. My buddy, Steve Duarte, he was the uh, visual effects um, supervisor on that job. We ended up doing an awful lot of um, development, actually, like figuring out how to how to make uh, the visual effects look more interesting as I came out, because they were actually running for about a year before I got there. And, um, I came in a year into it, and I, you know, we, I, I just had a bunch of ideas how we could change things, and mm-hmm. make, try and improve the show, and make it a little bit more visually interesting. And so I hooked up with Steve, who was already there as a VFX supervisor. We worked out tons of stuff, like how to digitally stitch plates together, like backgrounds, so we have elongated shots, you know, where characters are running across the ring, and, yeah. and um, you know, blood flying in machines flying and chunks of debris <laughs> flying around. And at one point, the plane, there was a, a small yellow Cessna that crashes into the dome, the deathmatch dome, and crashes into Nick and Johnny's booth. And that was, so much of that was digitally done. Using stop motion um, elements, like we'd animate the plane um, moving around and then drop that into a shot with you know, Nick and Johnny in the booth. And that was stop motion, but then it's flying through hitting him and then the explosions and all that stuff. Now, do you have anything to do with the writing process on this? No, I didn't have anything to do with the writing. That was a pile of guys in a room writing. I hooked up with those guys occasionally. Yeah. But uh, oftentimes they were running on their own. They just did their own thing. And I was involved with the storyboarding process with the director of the show, the creator. um, And he he and I would sit in the room and go through all the storyboards. Mm -hmm. And then that's where I had input. Was like, what if we did this, and how, how do we change this, and let's switch this. So you know, mostly it was, it was a combination of logistical and creative um, tweaking. 
take what was written, maybe make it, I'd add a bunch of gags to it, like some spike gags, and, and propose various aspects, and then um, we'd work it out from there. And like things that would go, great. Things that didn't go, we just blew it off. And then I'd you know, try and get things through. Points of interest that were like, okay, well, this is going to be physically impossible for us. Or how about if we do this action this way, because then we can shoot it this way and add these VFX to it. And that was really a lot of what I did at the storyboard stage before it got to the show. Yeah. And then I'd you know, be in charge of all the animation as it was happening and working with Steve uh, really closely in the VFX department to get things to, to um, work together really well, like the stop motion and the VFX elements coming together properly. And then we'd hand that off to um, Eric Fogel in the editing department, the creator, and then he would do the final edits. Hmm. So it's a yeah, long... pretty much all I could handle. I mean, there's so much going on as you, you know, as you, when you watch the show, it's just like holy moly! Oh yeah, nonstop. it's a long process. <laughs> yeah, we only had six weeks to do an episode. Jeez. <laughs> you know, there's like ten, fifteen stages going on. You know, shooting stages all the time, and so it was just madness. For like two years, it's just so intense. And now, now you're involved with the uh, your new project, um, Ray Harryhausen presents the Pit and the Pendulum. Yep, yep. We're um, just this week actually. We're we're finishing up the editing, um, editing editing the extra features. There's almost two hours of extra features. It can and, give us an idea of what some of the extras are. Uh, let's see. Well, it's it's. Um, not so much a film school. Like a lot of indie films do this thing where they've got a short film and they do like an hour and a half worth of you know, film school. Mm-hmm. We basically just approached it from the standpoint, of like if you're an animation fan and you're a Ray Harryhausen fan, wouldn't it be cool to see how the process works by talking to the guys involved? Yeah. So we got interviews with uh, myself, of course, did an interview with myself the other day, uh, breaking down the puppet construction process. Mm-hmm and spoke with the animators, uh, Mike Weiss in particular. He describes his experience as a stop-motion animator on the film and dealing with camera systems and talking about how he approaches a, animating a shot with a puppet and the, the acting through a puppet that he does. We spoke with um, the VFX crew, Goodrin Hines and Dave Alexander from Switch VFX. Uh, they, they go into the process. Um, of what they did on the short as far as adding visual effects, compositing, and elements, smoke, and flame, and dust, and building 3G, 3D models and CG of, of set pieces that we didn't have on set, but we shot green screens, so they you know, created entire environments in the, in the dungeon. Yeah, and that's all really cool. And then we, we did an interview with uh, Philip Stanger, the composer, who created the original soundtrack for us. And it's very good. I, oh, you like that? I, I've seen it. The, the music really adds to it. Oh, I think so, too. It's amazing. I think he did just a spot-on job with that. He's, he's a brilliant composer and does a lot of feature film work here and in, in, in London, hmm. in California. And right now he's in New York, actually, as we speak, doing his show. So I love working with Philip. He's just awesome. And... Um, we spoke with Matt Taylor, who wrote wrote the script and did the adaptation from the story, and and, uh, and this and then we did a bunch of work with the the sound design team from Urban Post, Alan Fung and Ian Rankin and and um, Rich uh, Haskins. They they did a phenomenal job with the five one surround mix of the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and we do a Foley studio tour with those guys. So they walk us through the Foley studio and describe 
how they made various sound effects from the film. That's neat, yeah. Yeah, and I, I yeah. was saying, I don't think I've ever seen uh, an extra features where they talk to the sound guys yeah. in the Foley studio. No, no. So I said, well, that'll be, because I've not even been in a Foley studio until this job. And I've been doing this for like 20-something years. <laughs> huh. So I thought that would be a really cool thing to see. Yeah. And then we do a little short interview in the um, in the surrounds the surround studio where we have basically a mini mini movie theater and we mix the five channels the five one surround channels to the image on the screen. So you actually get a movie theater version of the film. Hmm. Sounds like it's going to be an interesting DVD. Yeah, it should be really fun. I mean, I'm really happy with how it's coming out because this is all stuff I would have been thrilled to see. Right. Yeah. You know as uh, from any project, it was just like, wow, this is this is really cool. Well, you know, and and the, the cool thing for me is it's an, it's just a short film. It's only seven minutes long. Yeah. And, and you know, of course, Ray was involved, but unfortunately, we don't have any interview interviews with Ray because he's completely jammed. Yeah. And his legal issues with you know he's got obligations and whatnot, so we can't really put him on the disc. Um, how did but, you come up to, to get involved with Ray? I mean, maybe some people don't know his name, but to, I mean, to me, he's a legend. I mean, yeah, he is a legend. <laughs> you, know? you know, you can say that. I mean, he's certainly one of the pioneers. You know, that pushed. He did so much stuff, visual effects wise, and with stop motion and, and mixing up, um, you know, visual effects and optical effects. At the yeah. time, he was the only guy doing that stuff. Yeah, Clash of the you Titans. Know? Yeah, and it was, and he was doing it all by himself. Oh, really? Which, yeah, he only worked alone. It was incredible. <laughs> Sometimes he had assistance, but Ray was animating the characters, figuring out how to do the rear projection, the, the mat work, the run in the camera. I mean, he was doing everything. Yeah, you all you know, see those movies the in there. Sculpting the characters, doing the storyboards, writing the stories. It's like the, that, to me, is why the guy is just you know, phenomenal. Yeah. Because he, he did every pro- part of the process. Just fantastic. Oh yeah, I you know. And and when you when meeting him and hanging out with him and talking with him, I'm just blown away because he's the nicest guy, you know. Mm. And he's so laid back about this stuff. And he's just this, you know. He's got such a discerning eye. He sees everything, you know. Yeah. And and he just can talk your your ear off about the process and what he did. And you know, it's just fantastic. You can tell he and loves just, what he's doing, right? He loves what he did. Yeah. What he was doing, he's just so passionate about it. Just like I, I can tell that's you really love what you're doing too. I mean, yeah, it's a blast, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great way to spend your life, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, how long did it take you to make the Pit and the Pendulum? Um, we we had a bit of an elongated schedule, and I say that only because after we got the shoot done, uh, well, let me back up just a little bit. We started in April 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when we actually had to go ahead. That, like, I think Arnold Cuner, uh, Ray's agent, um, gave me a ring, and, and was we were talking about doing a short. You know, years before with Ray, mm-hmm. Ray and I were talking with Steve Jorsky um, about doing a, a short film together, and then that was like five years beforehand. That was in two thousand. And then two thousand five, Arnold called and said, "Hey, you know, we're we're really wanting to do something, and we're starting this new uh, company up called Ray Harryhausen Presents." And you know, he proposed. Why don't you guys? Can you? Do you think you could do a short film for the company? You know, it's be, it'll be the first thing that we do under the RHP banner. And I said, Wow, mm-hmm. I'd be honored to do that, and it'd be really great because we talked about this years before and never really got it together. Um, so being in Canada, I, I said, Well, we might be able to access some funding. You know, some uh, some funding through the the various channels up here, and 
it looked like we were going to be able to pull it off, so we started working on a script, and that actually started in April 2005. Hmm. So Matt, Matt Taylor and I started hammering on a script, and uh, Matt delivered a sixth and final draft, I think, in in May, <clears throat> late May. We got that, and then uh, just went into crazy pre-production, building sets, storyboards, all that stuff. We ended up shooting in July, and we shot for six weeks. I'm sorry, started in late June, shot through July. Finished up at the very end of July, six-week shoot, 2005. And then we uh, went into post-production, <clears throat> meaning the compositing, the visual effects work, the sound work. Yeah. And yeah. all that stuff brought us deep into 2006. Like, because of uh, Switch VFX, they do a lot of the effects work for, well, they did all the effects shots, apparently, for Repo, mm -hmm. the Daryl Bozeman's film that's coming out this year, uh -huh. and they had been working on all the Saw films, yeah. you know, the entire, and doing like the VFX for Everest and, and the Nutcracker and a mm -hmm. bunch of TV shows. These guys are crazy busy, and they're a small shop, yeah. you know. And um, John Campins was the visual effects supervisor on our show, on our short, and you know he's running Switch VFX, so they were crazy busy. So it took a long time for us to get our stuff yeah. out of Switch because they. Plug us in when they weren't working on the other things. Mm -hmm. So that kind of pushed us way into 2006, and then we did the five one surround mix, uh, which brought us into early 2007. Yeah. Oh yeah. The slow process. <laughs> you know, I mean, we actually did a release in 2006 of the film with the with an initial soundtrack uh -huh. that was not a five one surround mix; it was a stereo mix, and that was to get us into film festivals. Mm -hmm. So in 2007, we really finished the 5-1 surround mix, which was a totally new remix of the film. And that's when I consider when we actually finished the film. And that's the version that you'll see on the DVD. Yeah. And um, Now, are you still hitting the film festivals and the conventions and things? Yeah, we still on the, we've got a blog that we've, we've been posting all our conventions and film festivals coming up for 2008. We, we're booked through the summer right into 2009 with screenings and conventions. Wow. So that list is on our blog. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I haven't been sending sending applications out just because it's so expensive to do that. But, oh, yeah. you know, we still get requests, you know, pretty frequently uh, from folks saying, hey, you know, we'd love to show your film. or And then so, of course, we'll send the screener, and, and mm -hmm. if they say yes, then we get into another film festival, So, which is great. And you've you won know. some awards with that. We did. Uh, the last, the most recent was, was pretty surprising actually in May the May 23 to 25 weekend on May 23rd we won best short film at Crypticon 2008 Seattle hmm. and that's a big indie film and horror convention yeah. I guess and then on May 25th that Sunday we won a jury award for best short film at the Toronto uh, Hispano American Film Festival here in Toronto hmm. which is amazing like two best short film awards in one weekend. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, man, that never happens, right? Now, are you going personally to all these? I mean, you, you must be, tra if you're going, you're traveling an awful lot. Oh, my God. I wish I could. I really, <laughs> really, because I love going to film festivals. Yeah. My wife, Susan Ma, she's the producer. Mm -hmm. We've gotten to a few film festivals. Like, I managed to get to AFI Dallas in, in Austin, in um, Dallas. Yeah. Uh, in two, last year, that was really cool. And we went to Williams. The uh, Williamstown Film Festival in Massachusetts. We met Brad Siberling there, actually. Mm -hmm. 
who uh, directed Lemony Snicket. Yeah. That was great. He loved the film. I gave him a copy. That was <laughs> that was worth, that was really fun going there. So we make it to you know a bunch of the ones that we can drive to. Yep. But we haven't been to too many that we fly to. Pretty much when they when they pay for the the flight, then I can get down there. You know. Yep. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so and plus when my schedule allows, you're kind of busy, so it's really right, tough to yeah. get to all of them. But you know, I do have um, friends that are filmmakers. They go to hundreds of these things. I mean, they spend so much money. Going to these film oh, festivals, yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's just amazing. But I would, I would love to do that someday. I think you can do it with a feature film. You know, you kind of build it into the budget. Right. Yeah. But for a short film, you're really taking up so little screen time that it's it's hard to warrant um, actually being there. Yeah, I've seen the film and it's it's amazing. I mean, oh, wow. the, the well, things you have done, the effects, the the. Uh, the mood that you've set in it is just amazing. Well, it's, thanks, man. I'm really glad you like it. Oh, yeah. It was That's cool. great. Um, That's awesome. Just one other question before, before we go. I know you're probably in a hurry to go, but um, out of curiosity, yeah. the puppets yeah. that you make made for that movie, yep. what size are they? <laughs> I mean, you know, you always think they're little teeny things, yeah. or are they big, or what is it? You well, know? you know, they're the, they're the biggest puppets that... I should say the tallest puppets I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 14 inches high. Okay, so they're... Which is kind of normal for feature film type stuff. Yeah. So but, you're sort of sticking to your G.I. Joe roots. And yeah, <laughs> well, you know, and there's a reason why. I'll kind of explain it a little bit. Is with puppets, um, the basic approach is normally, like, for instance, on Celebrity Deathmatch, our puppets on average were about 8 inches tall. Mm-hmm. And that's a totally workable size. That's yeah. about as small as you really want to get. You know, and... I mentioned before when I was in high school, I used Micronauts, and yeah. they were very similar to the Stickfa figures you can find, the little mm-hmm. jointed black and red characters yep. that are poseable. Well, the cool thing with Micronauts is they had joints in every place that a human being would have a joint. The shoulder, elbow, wrist, knees, um, ankles, hips, you know, everything was movable. Yep. Much like a G.I. Joe, right? So the G.I. Joe would be the tallest character I would use, the... The Micronaut would be the smallest. The reason why I try to stay smaller at, at either G.I. Joe size or smaller is because exponentially everything around them expands in size and scale and height and complexity. So the bigger your puppet gets, the more stuff you have to build to surround the puppet as far as a set and props are concerned. So, and of course, the bigger things get, the more material that takes, the more time it takes, the more room you need. Because from the set, then you have to light the thing. Then you need room for the lights, which means you have more lights. And then the more lights, you need more electricity, which means more wall outlets. And you know, so you see what I mean? So yeah. Like, yeah. You know, if, you, if you're, <laughs> it's like trying to build a house. You start with one room, but then you realize I need a bathroom, I need a kitchen, I need right. a living room, I need a basement, and we need an attic. And then you start adding all that stuff around that one room to make things, you know, as nice as you want it to be realize you've got a giant building yeah where you started with just one room yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so that's kind of what happens with with uh, miniature sets so to, to try and minimize the cost and the and create um, more time versus more time animating versus more time spending building everything to animate mm-hmm. especially yep. with a tight schedule and a small budget we ended up we like to go with smaller puppets like eight inches to ten inches is great Mm-hmm. It's totally fine, and you can build sets pretty quickly. But with the pit, 
case because Ray and I talking about the puppet design. He really was was um, interested in a Giacometti style elongated figure, like Giacometti is an Italian sculptor. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with him, it does very tall, very thin uh, characters. Like his human forms aren't anatomical in any way. They, I mean, as far as limbs, they've got arms and legs and torsos, but it's super thin and super elongated. And Ray was really, really into that. He loved that style and that look. So um, to accommodate him on that, I said, well, we'll try and make our characters stretched out a little bit. And we did. So our characters come in at 14 inches. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. This is good. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do with this thing? But then, you know, in there we said, well, we said, well why don't we do, since we're doing the pit and the pendulum, it's basically one room. It's a dungeon. It's dark. You know, it's it's kind of slimy and grimy, so the colors are muted. They're dark or they're blacks and grays. There's not very much light because he's in a dungeon, so yep. we can hide the fact that the walls aren't really tall. You know, they just fade into blackness. Yep. Uh, the pit is super deep, so that fades into blackness. You don't really see into the corners very much of the room. So we could fake, fake the size and scale of the room around the puppet. And, of course, you accommodate that with lens, lens choice and the f-stops and the focus. And, you know, all those things have to come into play. And that's part of also why, I, to, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, why I love stop motion, because you have control over all that stuff. Yeah. You know, you can control every aspect of it and create something like the, the pendulum. So um, the reality of it was those sets were actually built on four-foot-by-four-foot four squares. We took a literally took a sheet of plywood, like birch plywood, mm-hmm. one inch thick, and cut it in half. That was our two tables. Huh. <laughs> and we had two walls for each set. Because I had to build walls, you know, and lay all the, the um, vacuform um, trains, train set stonework, like these sheets of, of stone. Yeah. You know, you get for uh, radio control, not radio control, for, um, HO trains. Oh, and you form that around? Yeah, I took, ah. I took those, I bought dozens of those sheets of plastic and cut them so that the stones would line up and glued them, hot glued them onto sheets of plywood and then seamed them all with plastic, so you, with a, sorry, not plastic, but um, body putty, mm-hmm. car auto body putty, so you could, so there would be no seams. And then, like, that took me days because these walls are like, you know, the walls are four by four each. Yeah. So there's four walls and I had to cover them with this, these little sheets plastic <laughs> and then i had this amazing guy brad mcginnis come in and paint everything and he's, he does a lot of feature film um that work and he does this beautiful paint job so we got away with a scale by you know the way the coloring the lighting and all that stuff so even though our character is 14 inches tall you never really know how big the room is because you never see the whole room yeah yeah you know and that's also vfx help in, in adding walls where there were none and you know, cheating the perspective and stuff. So mm-hmm. we got away with it in this particular instance. It worked, that's for sure. Oh, I'm really <laughs> glad you think so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Initially, Ray wanted to do Follow the House of Usher, mm-hmm. which is takes place in an old mansion. And I was like, oh, my gosh, 14-inch puppets with giant rooms. And I said, Wait, there's just no way we can do this. A lot more sets. Because we'd never be done. We'd still be working on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, do you have any other projects coming up? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. I'm Anything you can on... tell us about? I'm sorry? <laughs> Anything you can tell us about? Oh, yeah, yeah, some stuff. Um, I'm working, well, we're finishing the DVD, and then later, in starting 
the, literally the day after I ship this this thing, uh, before we put it out for release, I'm working with Blue Water Comics or Blue Water Productions out in um, in Washington with, on the Pit and the Pendulum comic book. We're doing a, a graphic comic that's um, adapted from our film. So we're using the images from our film yeah. to create a comic book mm. using the text Sounds of the good. story yeah. of the Pit and the Pendulum. Huh. So that's going to be like the director's cut version of the film as a comic book. Yeah. And that'll be out in October, November. So that's happening. And that's that's being done under the Ray Harry Hudson Presents banner as well. Mm-hmm. And we're, uh, we're working on the um, very beginnings of, of another stop-motion short, The Raven, another adaptation. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. And that will probably start production early next year. And uh, what else are we working on? Oh, we just finished our short film that we're going to be uh, putting online pretty soon. That's uh, How to Get Rich in TV Without Really Trying. That's, uh, it's part of a series of, um, of uh, flash animated shorts on uh, following the tra- trajectory of an of a, of a office worker that turns into a television executive through a series of trials and tribulations. Yeah, yeah. And we've got some other um, film stuff that we're developing. We're working on a feature, a stop-motion feature, uh, based on Poe as well. And uh, we've got something that we're working on with Blue Water that involves a heavy-duty uh, classic horror figure. They can't really release just yet because we're in talks about it, mm-hmm. but yep. that's looking really good. Uh, so we're really excited about that, and that's going to be tied in with The Raven. Huh. Short so you, you've got a lot of things on your plate. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. That's, That's good. Oh, oh, and one other cool thing is uh, we worked out. I was actually the um, director of animation on Dinosapien. Oh yeah. Uh, did you see that? No, I, but I've I've seen well I've seen clips of it. Yep. But I haven't seen the actual right. you know, show. Well, it's, it's on Discovery Kids. Yep. And right now it's number two show in BBC in the UK, and we that show actually was nominated for an Emmy. For hmm. single camera uh, cinematography. Wow! Yeah, so that was Jeez. really exciting. Yeah, uh, so I was really happy with that. Cause, huh. uh, we I did a lot of the second unit camera work on that as well. Huh? Yeah, so that was neat. So, um, what's the release? Or do you know what the release date? I know with I- independent films, things yeah. it's it's always tough to pinpoint a date. Well, but do you I have a we date? We were going to release last year. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> honestly, I was honestly just going to put the short out by itself with like a little intro, but then I decided to do all this extra feature stuff. Yeah. Um, we're looking for the end of June at the earliest to uh, first part of July, first half of July this year. Mm-hmm. So within the month, we're going to have that thing released. Okay, and where, where will people be able to pick it up? Uh, they'll be able to pick it up um, through the website, which is the Pit and the Pendulum shortfilm.com. Mm-hmm. We'll have a page on there that sends you to the, um, the DVD uh, release company and also you'll be able to get to it through the uh, the blog which is the pit and the pendulum short film dot blogspot dot com b l o g s p o t dot com no spaces it's just the pit and the pendulum short films it's all one word one big word and uh, or if you google the pit and the pendulum short film you'll find us we're usually on the top of the front page yeah. somewhere with google so um, we're going to be doing a big press release, blow out, and let everybody know that that's coming. Um, you know, a couple of days ahead. Mm-hmm. And if you subscribe on the blog for our newsletter, we're going to have some special deals for anybody that's on that mailing list. 
So prior to the release, we'll be putting together some packages for those folks that if you, um, you sign up, and it's a secure sign up, there's nobody's ever going to see those addresses. It just basically lines up folks for our newsletter that goes out to fans of the film. Mm-hmm. So any, anything that we're doing that's of interest, there are you know, new screenings that are coming in or uh, you know, parties that we might be throwing or you know, new products or additions to the film or whatever yeah. or interviews that are coming up, they'll get sneak previews of, of pretty much anything we're up to. Sounds good. Yeah, so it's like kind of like a fan club for the film. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, Mark, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely, and, um, man. I you know, appreciate having the time to chat. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. All right, thanks a lot. Take we'll see care, you. man. And I want to thank Mark once again for taking the time to sit down, talk with us, and uh, give us that interview and let us know about his Pit in the Pendulum. If you would like to uh, check that out, it's a very good film. Uh, it's, a, it's a short film, like I said, but it's coming out on DVD with a bunch of do- bonus features and everything and really interesting stuff. And uh, you can check out his website, like he said in the interview, and you can go there, you can purchase the film, you can uh, uh, get t-shirts. He's got all sorts of stuff out there. Um, it's, a, it's a good movie. If you get a chance, if you've been to any festivals and things, he's been uh, promoting that at the festivals, and uh, it's, it's been a big hit, a really good, good little short there. And it's coming out on DVD very shortly. Um, like he says, it, it, with uh, <laughs> with independent films, it's awful hard to nail down a date because you're always tweaking things and, and that sort of stuff. But um, he's uh, going to be releasing it, so it's coming up, and you can get it right there at his website. All right, so once again, thank you, Mark, for taking the time to talk with us. And uh, let's see, we've got different changes going on at the website, onscreenandbeyond.com. And uh, we're continually changing things, and we want your input. If you would like to give us your input, email us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com and uh, let us know what you think about the changes that have been going on and anything you would like us to try to do. We've been having some contests, and we're trying to get some more things to give away. And uh, let's see, what else we got going on? We're going to have some uh, clips, audio clips on the website from the different studios when they release movies. And going to try to keep giving you more information that you can listen to right here on On Screen and Beyond. So I uh, hope you'll keep listening. And we've got a lot more really good interviews coming up. Uh, 